Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here today with a very special guest. You heard me mention this man on yesterday's podcast. Chances are, if you've had any interest in any NBA draft over the last 15, 20 years, you've read this man's work. Long-time draft analyst with ESPN, and now we're fortunate enough to have him on the Locked On Podcast Network with Chad Ford's big board. Chad, thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Good day. (laughs) So, uh, I was going to say... That is particularly during the hiatus, this podcast has taken us all over the world. We were in Finland the other week. Uh, one place we have not been is Hawaii. You're in Hawaii right now. How's things over there? Well, the first rule of living in Hawaii is that you never complain about living in Hawaii. <laughs> that's, that's rule number one. It's sunny. It's beautiful. Like everybody else in the world, we're sheltering in place and locking down. But it's a beautiful place to be, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here through all of this. So I've flown over Hawaii plenty of times when coming from Australia to the US and I've never been there. I always look at it on the map as we fly over and first of all, I normally think that I would like to get off the plane at that point. It's about 10 hours into the flight, but secondly, uh, I just want to check it out. So I'll get there at some point, but we have got you here to talk about the draft and I want to start with the preparations for this year because you hear GMs and you you talk to the teams and, and they'll play down the impact of what's really happening here in terms of their scouting and ability to prepare for this draft. You can call me a little bit of a skeptic with this. I think that this has to be creating significant change for those uh, teams and GMs and front officers that have to work through this. What do you feel is, is the real impact of, of what we're seeing right now when you're trying to prepare for a draft? Well, the league's information hungry. And so the, chan- the fact that they're not getting as much information as they would typically get in a draft is troubling, obviously, for general managers, especially I've been doing this a long time. And I can tell you that NBA scouts, their professional scouts, were at at this in the summer, going to camps and then to practices before the college basketball season, early college basketball tournaments. They they know these guys. They they have them down. The question for front offices is. Does your general manager have them down? Certainly your coaching staff probably doesn't. And that, again, depends on the front office. Some general managers are out scouting very heavily, and some are wrapped up in all the other duties that they have to do for the team and just don't get out as much. And so if you hear complaints, it's not from the (laughs) lying file NBA scouts. They're like, actually, many of them hate the tournament. They hate the combine. They hate individual workouts because they believe the best place to really scout a player is in the middle of the season in a, ter- in a conference game where teams have game planned for this player. They've played him multiple times, and you're seeing them in a five-on-five regular situation as opposed to the more extreme situations in the tournament. 
And then certainly in the combine where you're not really even playing real five-on-five basketball and certainly not in individual workouts. They actually think that teams mess things up from there. And so there's a lot of scouts that are a bit relieved that all this got washed (laughs) away. And their general manager falls in love with a guy who goes off for 40 points in an NCAA tournament game or or heaven forbid their coach falls in love with somebody who they saw go off in a, in a college game, because that's probably when coaches really start paying attention, not because they don't care, but just because they have too much on their plate to do anything else. And so I, I think that the impact, if there's a big impact that's on the medicals, one thing about the combine that is truly genuinely important is all the team doctors are there. They get great medicals on these guys. That is such an important factor in deciding whether to draft a player or not draft a player. And there's a lot of concern right now in front offices about not having that information and how they're going to get reliable information as far as the medical status of every player in the draft. So I was, I was always laughing when you were saying that because the next point I wanted to get to is the fact that there was no tournament, there's no combine, uh, there's no conference tournament. So the, the interesting thing with this is, and particularly when you look at even, even the Milwaukee Bucks over the last couple of seasons, a guy like DJ Wilson that really came into the draft first round uh, stock after a performance at the tournament and, and even more so Dante DiVincenzo who had that unbelievable game in the, in the championship game and maybe doesn't even go in the draft if he doesn't have that performance so it, it sounds like as you're saying that this is potentially going to have more of an, of an impact on what front officers might be able to sway into a guy that they suddenly become enamored with and maybe the stock of guys moving up and down is going to be more solid than it normally would be leading from regular season college play through to uh, the draft. Yeah, I'm not sure for teams that had scouted everybody and that scouting was done in February, why exactly the board would move much unless, again, medical information. They are going to get the chance to do interviews with with prospects. Yeah. They're going to be able to do that via Zoom or or Skype or what have you. And that that moves the needle a little bit for sure. You definitely want to get to know the player. There's going to be tough questions that they're going to be asked if stuff came back up in their background checks. A lot of times teams have team psychologists there as well that want to ask particular types of questions. Sometimes they want to do a little game film and break down with a player to understand his basketball IQ and ability to, to break down film. I mean, there, there's some variance in, in a little bit of this but I don't think this is going to be like in years past where, you know, guys would come in to these individual workouts and dominate in workouts and start shooting up the boards or really start to stumble in workouts and start falling on the board. I, I think for the most part, the scouting part should be done. I'm a little bit late to the game, frankly, and so I'm still plowing through tape as we speak, uh, trying to get up on everybody in this draft. But I think for guys that have been at this since the summer – I think they're fairly confident where their boards are right now. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you catch up on some old games, sometimes you just need what you need to be delivered fast, and that's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier with grocery deliveries and whatever I can think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. 
I didn't even have to worry about where to go to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. So for the Bucks, this is a team that clearly as it stands, we're hoping to contend for a championship this year, but won 60 games last year. They're not really in a position roster-wise where they're going to take a guy in the first round, particularly where they're situated, pick 19, that's going to come in and, and A, be a regular rotation player and B, be a guy that really impacts the team. We've seen over the last couple of years, even a guy like DJ Wilson hasn't been able to crack the rotation. And then guys like Dragon Bender and Christian Wood that sort of got squeezed out as the Bucks look to improve heading in to the postseason. So how do you see contending teams' philosophy? And we, we can lean this towards the Bucks in terms of drafting at pick 19 this year and saying, well, okay, are we, are we taking a, a project? Are we taking a guy that we think is best available that may be able to play rotation minutes? How do you look at this when you're a contending team in such a strong position as the Bucks are? You know, I was talking to Wes Goldberg about that, who hosts the, the Warriors Locked On uh, podcast who are in a really unique situation right. where they may get the number one pick in the draft. And I don't actually think it changes much. First of all, there's no Anthony Davis. There's no Zion Williamson. There's no LeBron James in this draft. There's no player anywhere in this draft that is such a game changer that they fit onto all 30 teams, play minutes immediately, impact the team right away. I don't really see that. This draft is not that strong to begin with. So you start there. And now you're down at pick 19 where traditionally John Hollinger and I have been doing a series of redrafts. We can pretty much in almost every draft stop at the lottery because after that you're talking about for the most part fringe players in the league period in every draft. So historically after there's going to be, you know, eight to 12 to 14 players in this draft, if it's a great draft, if it's a deep draft that are going to be impact players in the league the Bucks are drafting at 19. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get one of those guys. It just means that expectations about who is going to be available at this pick, the Bucks are going to have to get a little bit lucky. In other words, some teams above them are going to have to screw up and, and miss on guys that they shouldn't have missed on. And then some of it's going to be development. And, and as you point out, on a championship contending team, it becomes more challenging in part because a coach isn't really willing to give a lot of time to a rookie to figure things out. And there is a big, big leap from college basketball to the pros across the board. And even to it, it even goes even further than that. Coaches and the development time and the practice time that a team puts in varies wildly among NBA teams and where you are. You have a young team, you're a lottery team, you're still developing tons of practice, tons of development happening get a veteran team, team that's going to go deep in the playoffs, load management gets into, into play for coaches as well. Suddenly the practice comes, cuts down, the development cuts down for players. And so this is a, a pick that for almost all intents and purposes for the Bucks, probably is kind of a draft and stash type of, of project. Like you send them down to the D League, let them do some work there, maybe draft an international player, let them develop overseas. 
the chances that at this point, given the Bucks roster and everything that they've got in place, that they're going to have a major contributor coming in and helping this team in a championship run are, are pretty slim, especially in this draft. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that actually because it makes me think of uh, when the Bucks picked up Marvin Williams just a, a couple of months ago in the buyout market. One of the first things he said to us after being around the team for a couple of weeks was uh, noting how different the situation was in Milwaukee compared to Charlotte in relation to practices and the fact that it was a lot more relaxed and we sort of said well what do you think this is or what's the reason for that and he said exactly what you pointed to the fact that the Bucks are a veteran team they're looking to be in as, as good condition as they possibly can be heading into a postseason run and the Charlotte the Hornets are, are predominantly a, a young team and those guys needed the practice and needed that work in the gym so that's certainly something to take note of one thing that you just made me think of We've seen in previous years, and again, if we tie it to the Bucks, Malcolm Brogdon was a good example of this, a guy that is a little bit older, a little bit more mature, a guy that's been in college for uh, multiple years. In the second round, these picks have become pretty popular in terms of taking a guy that might be more ready to go from day one in the NBA. You speak about maybe taking a draft and stashed. Where do you think the cutoff is in the draft? Is it second round? Is it late first round where you might look and say, Okay, this guy, maybe long-term, his, his ceiling is a little bit lower than others, uh, but we are pretty confident we can get something from him earlier on in his career. Yeah, I don't know where that is in this draft yet. The, the truth is, as you look over the draft boards, it's freshman, 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 yeah. international player, a couple of sophomores littered in there, though, you know, like Obi Toppin is a 22-year-old sophomore, and so he's... He's got a little bit more age on him. This isn't a senior-laden draft. If there's one thing I would say about the draft is finding guys like that that are really accomplished college players that also project well in the NBA. Uh, you know, Brogdon falls into the second round almost entirely over injury concerns. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a first-round pick if it wasn't for injury concerns. And so, you know, as I'm just looking over the board right now and looking at like the top 30, I don't really see a lot of juniors or even seniors that one of the things that you could hang their hat on is that they're really experienced and maybe they can come in and play a role for you. And maybe that's, that's okay. That's acceptable for your team right now. You know, Tyler Bay, uh, maybe a little bit out of Colorado, Desmond Bain out of TCU. I mean, there's a couple of guys that you could throw out there, but I don't necessarily see that as one of the great options for the Bucks this year. This is a very heavy, young draft, freshman-laden draft. So what do you see the impact being this season in terms of potentially trading picks? And And I say this because heading into the trade deadline, there was a, a lot of talk that potentially the Bucks might want to tie this first round pick with a guy like Ersan Uisova, who at the time uh, had $7 million uh, on his deal this year. Next year, there's a team option. You would think with the current landscape, maybe that's a deal that the Bucks are going to shy away from. Do you think the impact of what's going to happen moving forward, the uncertainty with the salary cap, teams not wanting to take on any type of salary that they don't need to, are you expecting that there's going to be less movement and perhaps for a team like the Bucks, this is, this is not going to be a pick that they, A, would want to move and B, going to be able to move? Yeah, that's a little bit too early to know how to answer that in any sort of educated yeah. way other than just to guess. It's Teams are, are spinning, and, I, and I'm talking to teams every day about what's going on, and there's just basics that they're still trying to figure out, including whether we're even going to play the season. Obviously, the salary cap is going to be dramatically impacted 
uh, by the league basically dropping to zero revenue. Uh, not to mention the fact that it was already going to be impacted by some of the things that happened in China early in the season. That is such an unknown of even what free agency is going to look like, what sort of money teams are going to be able to spend. And then on top of that, trying to project revenues going forward for owners, given that it's unclear whether fans will be in arenas next season or whether the NBA, if they can restart, are going to be playing to empty gyms. I mean, there's so many questions right now that are just existential questions, questions that the league never thought that they would have to face (laughs) or ask that it really has frozen teams in so many ways. The draft, interestingly, you know, when you think about the problems teams have, the draft is actually not that big a problem compared to so many other issues that they have to face. There's some minor inconveniences with the draft compared to projecting free agency, for example, or how to build a roster or how to come back uh, from the season that this is, I think one of the comfort, it should be like comfort food for us a bit. Like the scouting the draft and doing the draft, that is not going to change that much for teams. So now I, I do want to try and, and look at some names at some guys that might be falling in this sort of 15 to 25 range. I don't think uh, Bucks fans are going to be too interested in talking about LaMelo Ball or James Wiseman or any of the guys at the top that the Bucks aren't going to be able to reach. Who are you looking at? And, and you can look at this from uh, best available or potentially guys that might fit with the Bucks. And we know that at the moment, the Bucks are a pretty loaded roster, certainly for the foreseeable future, four of the five starters are locked up and a couple of the key bench pieces as well. So I've already said there's not a lot of room, but who are you looking at in that, in that range that the Bucks might be eyeing off as a potential first-round pick? Well, I would look at two things for a team like the Bucks right now. There's two, two ways that I think that you get on the, on the floor for a team like the Milwaukee Bucks right now. One is that you're an elite defender. It's always hard for rookies yeah. to get in, period, because of defense. But if, de- if you had someone who is an elite lockdown defender, I think there's a chance to earn minutes on the Milwaukee Bucks next year. And then the next one is shooting. Every team in the league wants shooting. Guys that are lights-out perimeter shooters are players that can get on the floor at, at times, especially on a team like the Bucks. You want to surround Giannis with as many shooters as you can. And so those are the guys that I would be just looking at, right? They possess one of those two skill sets. So we could start with Aaron Nesmith out of Vanderbilt, a sophomore who is a lights-out perimeter shooter, also great hustler uh, on the wing. You know, he's not necessarily the guy that creates off the dribble, but a guy that I think is going to consistently stretch the floor, has great wingspan, and he's falling somewhere in that, like, you know, 50 to 20 range. Um, I love Patrick Williams out of Florida State, who to me is a perennial 3 and D type of player, can shoot from the perimeter, can play multiple positions on defense, can be a bit of a shot blocker, can play off the ball. Lots to love about his game. I actually think he's going to rise way higher. He's actually in this range on most mock drafts. To me, he's a top 10 prospect, but let's see Hmm. what happens because a lot of people have him in that range right now. But a guy that, I again, versatility, can play multiple positions for you. Uh, Precious Achua out of Memphis, a guy that I think, again, looks like he has the potential to be a guy who can defend multiple positions 
on the floor, plays with a lot of energy, a guy that I think could be a really interesting prospect. And then I'm going to throw one more name out at you, a guy that I, again, think is underrated, Jalen Smith out of Maryland. A big guy can really shoot the basketball, actually, and can handle it a little bit and has been a shot blocker, uh, could, has shown signs of being a rebounder, a big guy at 6'10 with a 7'2 wingspan that I think could translate in the NBA as one of those stretch bigs that can do multiple things on the court. He's a little bit older. He's played two years at Maryland. Those are guys that are sort of interesting to me with the Bucks at 19. Yeah, so it's interesting. All those guys that you really mentioned, I mean, you look at the size, 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", 6'10". And I think if, if you're looking at the Bucks, the one, one position where there is avenue for someone, as you sort of mentioned, if they defend, if they shoot the three, there's potential for minutes there, is on the wing behind Chris Middleton. He soaks up a lot of those minutes. But then you have seen guys like Pat Connaughton on a, on a minimum contract, 1.7 million, come in and play real minutes. So there is a potential there. I think the other spot that the Bucks might be looking for moving forward sort of long-term is the point guard position. We know they've heavily relied on Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, both guys that are around 30 or beyond. So they both have long-term deals, but they are getting on, I guess, or heading towards the end of their career. One guy that I mentioned before we started recording, I saw him play. I don't know where he sits, and I don't know what the Australian experience actually did for him. RJ Hampton is still in that range. I see him going from around 14 to, to around 20 on most mock drafts. I don't know how much time you've spent on him but what do you see from him and is he a guy that teams as you sort of mentioned might be willing to say yeah we'll draft you and we'll give you time to develop I actually think he'll probably rise out of that range to be honest the elite athleticism yeah and that he has and one thing is that I actually think was really good for his career I know there's a lot of people that criticize these young American kids when they go overseas and feel like they've copped out of college or they sold out But the Australian League, in the mind of most NBA scouts that scout both college and international basketball, is a step above what you're getting at college basketball. I know that's hard for college basketball fans to hear. (laughs) They think, you know, basketball at Duke and Kentucky is, you know, just one step down below the NBA, but it's multiple steps down, right? The Euro League and what's happening in Spain and, for example, or even, even in Germany is a level that's higher than the NCAA. And I think Australian basketball has reached that level too. I don't think it's EuroLeague level basketball, but I think it's a step above. And so when RJ Hampton, who if he had gone to college, would have just been given the ball, given his blue chip credentials, and just been able to kind of go wild, which is you know what coaches kind of have to do with these freshmen to get them to come to teams or whatever. He has to fit into a professional team. In New Zealand, he has to play a role. He has to play within himself and he has to play around veterans. And you can look at his numbers and say, well, they're not that impressive. But actually, when you look at his age and the translation, the transition that he was making, I actually think it's really impressive. And I think he learned a lot this year. And I think that he learned what he's going to have to be when he transitions to the NBA because almost all of these guys who have been the guy their entire career are not going to be the guy on the NBA team when they're drafted, right? They're going to be, in some cases, the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th guy on the team. And how do you learn how to adjust to that role? And I would look at RJ Hampton and say, I think he did an actually really nice job 
in the Australian league this year when he played for New Zealand. And I think that that is a very big plus in his corner that he's picked up some basketball and emotional and professional maturity. And now all he needs to do is really refine some of his game because the athleticism's there all the way, the hustle's there. And if he could develop a jumper, he's a really, really interesting prospect. Yeah, not to get too sidetracked on talking about the NBL, but that was one thing I always said. It was, it was interesting that you brought that up because even if you compare him to Lamalo, which everyone wanted to do and they looked at the stats, Lamalo almost did get that college treatment in Australia. They put the ball in his hand, which you never see uh, in, in the NBL or in professional basketball with these young guys that go and play overseas. Uh, they did that in Illawarra with Lamalo, and uh, his stats were impressive. He had some big games, but the team was terrible. And uh, that was sort of the way it panned out for RJ. He certainly had to fit into a system more than Lamella did. One other guy, and this is purely a selfish question from me, uh, so I, I don't shy away from that. Josh Green, Australian. And in Australia, this guy really, since Ben Simmons was locked in as a high draft pick and everyone knew he was heading for the NBA, Josh Green's been pegged as the next guy coming through. 6'5", out of Arizona. Had double shoulder surgery just before this season began or in, in the last, last summer. So he was interrupted, but he came in and I think had a, a relatively solid season. He wasn't at the top 10 projection where people in Australia were trying to peg him a few years ago, but he's still looking like a first-round talent. Where do you see him dropping in this draft? And uh, what's the biggest concern? Is it the shot with him? Isn't it interesting how now players are switching? Josh Green leaves Australia to come to the U.S. <laughs> thinking that's going to help his draft stock. And LaMelo and RJ go from the U.S. to Australia thinking uh-huh. the same thing. I mean, I think that's, that's really fascinating. But in his case, he's probably right. Because as preps, LaMelo gets scouted and RJ gets scouted in ways that Josh Green doesn't really get scouted right, right in Australia. I... He projects right in the middle of the draft for me. You know, somewhere in that 15 to 25 range, he's a 3 and D type player that needs to get better at the three. Yeah. Right? Like that's uh, – that. He, but he's, he's that sort of player. And I think that, you know, as he gets better at taking contact uh, or when he gets to the rim, I think that there was times that – he looked like he needed to really tighten up his handle. And that is something that you can get the league. But there was a lot of, I, I would say about Josh Green, the thing that maybe concerns me more than anything else about Josh Green is what's the one thing that he hangs his hat on mm-hmm. in the NBA? I think that that's one thing that when you're evaluating draft prospects and you can get excited about a lot of tools. And I think Josh Green actually has a number, a number of tools He's got a good feel for the game. There's a number of things that you could say about him. He's a toolsy player. But is there that one thing that he does at an elite level that's going to earn him minutes on a semi-playoff to good team? Because that's kind of in the draft. He's either on a bubble playoff team or a playoff team that's going to allow him to develop. And I'm not sure exactly what that is for Josh Green right now. I there's not that one thing that just like pops for me with his game. Yeah. I, and I, I think that that's been the, the large question mark, even when you're watching him clearly he hangs his hat on defense and athleticism, but uh, and energy, sort of, energy. Yeah. Lots of energy. And it, as you pointed to at the start though, it's kind of funny because I think about what guys might fit with the bucks, but really you mentioned it. It's the entire NBA right now. It's if you can defend, if you're athletic, if you can shoot the three, then you're going to be attractive to an NBA team. Uh, is is he elite in any of those categories that 
it uh, remains to be seen, I guess, at the NBA level. But uh, I want to wrap this up. And because I don't feel like I've thrown enough hypothetical questions at you, right now, the draft, June 25, we don't know what's going to happen with the NBA season. And chances are, well, not chances are, if they're going to play any basketball this season, it's going to go beyond June 25. You're going to be talking August, September, October, whatever it may be. Is the draft going to push back? What are you hearing? Are you hearing anything in terms of what oh, yeah. will happen? Would they would they uh, hold the draft and then figure figure out contracts and stuff later, or is the draft just going to be something that continues to move back? Oh, they're going to kick the draft down the road. I'm ninety plus percent sure. That's what general managers are asking. That's yeah. what owners are asking the league for. The league hasn't announced any decision yet on that, so I'm not reporting that that's what's going to happen. But yeah. there's a general consensus in the league that they want to move this back. Obviously, there's so much interest in salvaging the season. And there's also, by the way, a number of NBA teams, and this, there's less consensus on this, so I'm not sure if it'll get through, but I, I think maybe the majority of teams that I've talked to feel like, let's revamp the whole offseason while we're doing this. We're going to push this back. Then after that's done, let's move into free agency right away then. It doesn't make a lot of sense that the draft is before free agency. So let's do free agency next. Then let's do the draft. Let's run that right in the summer league, which in this year, if there is a summer league, it's going to be a fall league, not a summer league. And then let's roll from fall league slash summer league right into the NBA season starting in December, right? Like around Christmas time. And there's actually been a lot of proponents for that before all of this happened. That's given the most optimistic calendar that the NBA, I think, can come up with that, you know, the season re-begins sometime in July and playoffs in like, you know, August and maybe early September and then free agent and, you know, shortened free agency period and then the draft and everything else. Just keep it that way is what a lot of teams are saying right now. And I'm actually a proponent of that as well. I think it's actually a good move for the NBA the NFL draft is such a big deal because the Super Bowl happens in January, early February, and the draft just happened last weekend. It gives a lot of time for buildup for teams to get, for fans to get excited about stuff that's happening in the offseason. And so this is an opportunity for the NBA to break tradition and do some things differently. I think there's a lot of energy behind that. It's just the major question mark that even the league doesn't know, which is when can we start playing basketball again? Well, I think for anyone that's been to Summer League over the over the journey of that being in Vegas, I think no one would really be too disappointed with that moving away from the 120 bloody degree days out there where you're, you're too scared to go outside. But hey, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you can get Chad Ford at Twitter, at Chad Ford Insider. Of course, you can listen to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Hey, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk through uh, what is still an uncertain draft up, upcoming. All right, take care, King.